Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 27, or uh, you can follow along on the Version app under uh, more on the bottom, click events, and it'll bring you right to uh, Cornerstone Community Church. Uh, you can follow along on there. But as you're turning to Acts chapter 27, uh, you guys know me well enough. I, I've said it quite a few times. Uh, I'm a movie fan, and uh, one of my favorite movie series of all time is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean, depending on how you say it. Um, you know, our, our marching band kids that are here, they know a thing or two about it. That was their uh, theme last year, last season. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a fun series because, I, I don't know, I just love the, the idea of being out on the open sea and, and all the things that take place and the, the, the ship battles and all that stuff. And uh, quite the adventure. And the reason I bring that up is because in Acts chapter 27 today, there's a little bit of something for everybody. You know, there's uh, some sailing, there's some action, there's some, uh, some, you know, the power of God on display. Uh, if you like snakes, there's a snake. Like, there's all sorts of things in here for everyone. And, uh, you know, last week in uh, chapter 25 and 26, we talked about uh, Paul's testimony. And we had seen Paul give his testimony before, and he's given his testimony again. And this time he's given it to Agrippa. And I love chapter 26 because you, you see the zeal that Paul has for sharing the gospel. He wants people to know Jesus. He wants people to have the relationship with Jesus that he has. And one of the most beautiful things that he says in all of 26 is, you know, hey, whether it's a long time or a short time, I pray that someday you have what I have minus these chains. You get a sense of the kind of man that Paul was. And the sad thing is, is, uh, you know, they say, hey, we would have let Paul go. He would have been set free. But in 25, he says, I'm going to make my appeal to Caesar. I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before Nero and I'm going to tell Nero, uh, you know, the gospel. I'm going to get an opportunity to speak to him about, you know, why I'm, why I'm here and why I do what I do. It was all God-ordained, God-divine. And, you know, now he's going to get an opportunity to go to Rome. And that's where we're at this morning in 27. We are going to uh, look at this adventure trying to get to Rome. And we're not going to make it to Rome this morning. I will let you know right now. We're not going to make it to Rome this morning. But next week, we will make it to Rome. And that will be the end of our series through uh, the book of Acts. But uh, before we get there uh, to the end of Acts, we've got to get to Rome and start on that way to Rome. And so that's where we're going to start in chapter 27 and uh, verse 1. And so uh, that's where we're going to start. It says this, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regime. We boarded a ship from Adamatium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Uh... Articus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was there with us. And so uh, 
we start here getting kind of the itinerary and meeting a few people. Uh, they decide that they are going to go to Rome, and it says we would sell for Italy. We, this would indicate that Luke is back in the story. Uh, whenever you see we in the book of Acts, that is referring to Luke is there with them. We haven't seen a we in a while since uh, Acts chapter 21, but now Luke is back in the picture, and Luke is going to sell with them. We see that they are going to be under the care of a centurion named Julius, who outside of this, this is the only uh, time we see him mentioned uh, in the New Testament. But we're also going to see this man, uh, Aristarchus, who is a companion of Paul's that we read about in Acts 20. Uh, He's someone that we know will be an important companion uh, to Paul. In Colossians 4.10, says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you uh, his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, And then Philemon chapter 1, the only chapter in Philemon, so verse 24, says, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So this man will be a companion with Paul while he is in prison. And he's been his companion before, and he will continue to be his companion. Uh, And they are going uh, out uh, and heading towards Rome. Now, I have a map up here, and uh, so you can see where we are heading. It's this solid red line that starts down here in Caesarea and is going to go, you know, up and down and around and all over the place. Uh, in the middle of the map, there's this little island section, uh, Fair Havens. We'll talk about that a little bit. And Malta is where we will end. It's right kind of under the A on Apostles. So, Uh, That is our voyage. That is where we are heading. And we see that they board a ship, and the ship is uh, most likely a ship that is uh, on its last run to its base before winter sailing season kicks in. Uh, Some boats were not uh, the right boats to be out and about sailing during the winter season, and so this boat was most likely making its final trip. And so uh, that kind of leads us uh, to verse 3. It says, The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we set sail to the Lee of Crete opposite Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of the sea. So uh, the voyage continues, and they uh, get to a place called Sidon, and uh, while they're there, Julius shows kindness to Paul. He allows him to go and look for other believers in Sidon. Uh, The fact that he was showing kindness to Paul is most likely uh, because of his Roman citizenship that gave him a little bit of extra freedom, and uh, they go, and and he is able to... uh, 
get some of his needs met there from some of the fellow believers. And then they set sail again. And uh, as they're sailing, they end up in a place called Fair Havens. And you know, it's funny, there's all of these different like difficult places to pronounce. And then at the end, we get to Fair Havens. It sounds like a really fancy apartment complex or housing development. Like that's what I think of when I think of Fair Havens. Um, but they get to Fair Havens. And so... Uh, when they get there, in verse, or so before they get there, one of the things to point out is uh, they stop and they are in a, uh, or they move to a different ship, an Alexandrian ship that is sailing for Italy, and they get on board of that. This was most likely a grain ship. Uh, they hauled a lot of grain. Rome imported around 150,000 tons of grain. It's a lot of grain, and so they would need big vessels to do this. Uh, it was capable of holding at least 276 people. We can see in verse 37, it tells us that there were 276 people on board, so we know that it at least holds 276 people. And then they get to Fair Havens, as we talked about, and that leads us into verse 9. It says, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we would sail on. Uh, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Uh, this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And so a kind of interesting thing here, uh, it says it had become dangerous because it was the day, it was after the Day of Atonement. What does this mean? Why does Luke throw this in here? Well, the Day of Atonement here mentioned and this year would have been around the beginning of October. The reason why this is so important is because in the middle of September through the middle of November, it became a dangerous time to be out on, uh, out on the Mediterranean Sea. And so Paul warns them, hey, it's already starting to get dangerous, and if we decide to sail on, we're going to run into danger. We're going to run into problems uh, to the cargo, to the ship, to us. And, and it's probably better that we stay where we are at. You see, Paul was actually kind of an expert on this. You know, Paul knew a thing or two about this. Uh, you know, the farmer's commercials, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Well, that's Paul. I mean, Second Corinthians 11.25 tells us this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Paul's like, hey, I've been shipwrecked a few times. I know a thing or two about being shipwrecked. And I know that this is going to be dangerous if we go out. But the centurion, along with the, the pilot of the ship and the owner of the ship, decide that, no, this place isn't a good place for us to be. Uh, it's not a good harbor for uh, spending the winter. We should probably try to get over to Phoenix. Uh, the harbor there was probably more sheltered. Uh, it probably would have protected them more from the winds and, and the winter season. The problem is, is not being there for, to protect your ship. It's getting there is the problem. 
If they can't get there, it doesn't matter if the harbor is better if they can't arrive safely to their destination. But they decide to head out, and as we will see, they make a poor choice by not listening to Paul. He under, he's been through this, he, he warns them, and we will see here in just a little bit, he, he knew that this was going to happen uh, for reasons, but uh, they chose not to listen to him. And I think the thing, which I meant to mention this earlier, the thing I love about Acts chapter 27 is this. Throughout this story of this storm that we are going to see and the shipwreck account we are going to see is that these, this actual storm, this actual shipwreck can teach us a thing or two about the storms that we face in life. And we can learn lessons from this. And, and so here's the first lesson that we can learn from Acts 27. It's this. Sometimes we cause our own storms. That one hurts a little bit to think about, right? Like sometimes we cause our own storms. We don't want to admit it, but sometimes the reason we are in the mess we are in, sometimes this, the things that we are going through is because we chose to put ourselves in those positions. And, and how do we do that? Well, sometimes it's, there, there's two reasons why this happens, actually. One, we choose not to listen to godly counsel. You know, we have these people around us who say, hey, man, you, sh- you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You should watch out for this. You shouldn't, you know, approach this. You should leave this alone. And we choose not to listen, right? Human nature. We, we have it in us. Like we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it no matter the consequences, no matter what. And we choose not to listen to godly counsel. And sometimes it's simply the fact that we just choose not to listen to God. God has spoken it out to us in His Word. He has given us His Word to help us do the right thing, to choose not to do the wrong thing. God has given us His Word. He has given us guidance. He has given us direction. And we simply choose not to listen. And when we choose not to listen, we find ourselves in the middle of a storm and we're wondering, why in the world am I here? What happened to me? Why in the world has this come up? It's because we choose not to listen to those who are around us, who who give us godly counsel. And I will say, this is also an important time to think about this. Who you surround yourself with is important. Who you surround yourself with is important because if you choose not to surround yourself with godly people, with people who will give you godly counsel, don't be surprised when the things they are telling you lead you astray. But you see, we, when we have godly people around us, we need to listen to godly counsel. Proverbs 1.5 tells us this, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. We need to listen to those around us. But more important than just listening to godly counsel, we need to make sure whenever we are going through anything, whenever we are facing a decision of any kind, the first place we should go is to God. Number one, before anything else, we go to God and we lean on Him and we pray to Him and we read His Word about what we are, the decision we are trying to make, what we are trying to do, how we are trying to live. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. 
Philippians 4, 6 through 7 tells us this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So listen to godly counsel, but even more so than just listen to godly counsel, listen to God. Make sure that we are taking all these things to God and and lean on Him. And when we lean on God, He is not going to lead us astray. He's not going to lead us down a, a horrible path. He is going to lead us down a path of righteousness. So who you listen to matters and, and who you bring this stuff to matters. And sometimes the truth is simply this. We can avoid the storms of life if we would stop and listen to Scripture and we would pray and we would seek godly counsel. And so we continue into verse 13. And it says this, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and we were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself and held, or to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And so they start out this gentle breeze, and they were probably thinking, yeah, if this is the worst we got, then that'll be wonderful. But then quickly we read about this violent wind called the Northeaster. And this northeaster was a wind of hurricane force. Matter of fact, the translation for this in the Greek is where we get our word typhoon. Heavy, heavy wind. And they are sailing, and now things are not going so well. They're getting battered around. Uh, They are uh, going off course. Things are just starting to turn very bad. Matter of fact, they uh, could no longer secure the lifeboat, so they bring it up, and uh, then they pass ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Now, this is quite interesting. When it says that they would run ropes under the bottom of this, it could mean that they just run or ran ropes under the ship. It also could mean, some have said, that they ran rope all the way around. They started in the bottom and ran it all the way around the ship, trying uh, to keep the boards together, the planks of the ship together. They were trying to keep it from snapping in half. And... Uh, they continue out. They're afraid uh, that they're going to run into sandbars. It's uh, where wind and water has collected sand, and you know, it's an exposed area of sand, kind of looks like a sand bridge. And uh, they're afraid of, that they would run around it, and so they lower the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. It would slow it down, but because of the weight, it would not blow around as much. 
Then we see them start throwing out supplies, start throwing over uh, tackle. They're just throwing everything out that they can to lighten the load on the ship. And then we see in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we'd finally gave up all hope of being saved. How quickly it's turned, and now they're thinking on this ship, there is just nothing we can do. We are in trouble. There's no way we're going to be saved. They've just given up all hope. Everything is lost. But it's not lost yet because Paul is on the, on the ship and he has some good news for them. And starting in verse 21, it says this, After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Stop there for a second. Uh, you know, some people say, well, whenever you see Paul or somebody stand up, it's like they're about to give an address, they're about to give a speech, they're about to say something. That's probably not the case here. Think about it, they're in this violent wind, things have been going crazy. He's probably not standing up and giving this eloquent speech. It's probably more likely he's standing in the midst of them and, and just saying, hey guys, listen. And you see a little bit of humanity here from Paul. You should have taken my advice. You should have listened to me. You know, hey, I have been shipwrecked enough times to be an expert. Can you imagine being an expert at being shipwrecked? Man. But hey, you should have listened. You should have listened to me, and you would have saved yourselves, and there would be no damage, there would be no loss, but you didn't listen to me. But here's where he brings in the good news, verse 22. He says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So here's the good news that that Paul gives them. I have to go to Rome. I have to stand before Nero. I have to give an account to him. And because of that, I have been told in this vision that I'm going to make it there. But not only am I going to make it there, everyone who is on this ship is also going to make it. We are going to be okay. The ship's going to be destroyed, but we are going to make it. And, and Paul says, so keep up your courage for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he had told me, just as he has said that we will all be okay. I believe him. I know what he speaks is true. We are going to be good. And so he encourages them, find courage. So what's the lesson we can learn here? Well, I think the lesson that we can learn is an important one. In the middle of the storm, God is with us. In the middle of the storm, God is with us. And you know, the thing about this is we've heard this our whole lives, right? Like we say this over and over again. It's like a moniker that we wear all the time. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. I know that God is with us. And everything, God is with us. God is with me through all things. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. We say it so many times. But yet, when it comes time, and we are in the middle of the storm, where are you, God? Where are you? 
I feel so alone. I feel so distant. It feels like you're nowhere near me. It feels like you don't care about what I'm going through. It feels like you have just turned your eyes away from me. What is going on? Where are you? We say it our whole lives that God is with us until we are in the storm. And it's all of a sudden God's nowhere to be found. Well, I think the problem is, is too often we believe the lie the enemy tells us is that God doesn't care about your problems. God doesn't care about your storms. God doesn't care about the things you're going through. God has turned his eyes away from you. God isn't there with you. And we listen so often to this lie the enemy tells that we are on our own. And we forget that God is, in fact, with us. God is right there with you through every storm, through every trial, through everything you face. God is with you. And if you needed proof of that, just read through Scripture. We see it over and over and over again. God is with His people over and over and over again. Isaiah 43, 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I will be with you wherever you go, whatever you're going through, whatever the situation, I will be with you. Isaiah 54.10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and uh, foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, in the middle of the storms that you are facing, take solace in this, that God is with you. And don't buy into the lie that he doesn't care about your issues, he doesn't care about your storm, he doesn't care about your struggles, he has made it clear that he is with you. God is with us in the middle of the storm. And so the text continues on in verse 27. It says, On the fourteenth night we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. So we see here the water is starting to get shallow Roman merchants, they would have these lead lines that they would use to test the depths of water. Every Roman merchant would have one of these. And this is why it's important. The closer they get to land, they notice that it's starting to get more shallow. So that could be one of two things. It could mean that they are approaching shore. But the other problem is this. The closer they get to shore, it's night. They are afraid that they could also run into rocks. And so when it's night, you have no idea where you're going. It's, you've already been tattered around. 
and, and you're, the water's getting shallow, you could either be getting close to shore or you could be getting close to running into rocks. And so we see these sailors here, and they try to flee. They try to flee. They don't have faith in what Paul has told them is going to happen. They don't have any faith that God is going to uh, deliver them from this. And they are going to do this selfish thing of, all right, we're out. We're going to flee from here. We're getting away from here. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with the possibility of crashing into rocks. I'm out, which makes me laugh because it's still night. How do you, anyway. Um, But they try to flee. And Paul calls them out on this. Hey, listen. If these men don't stay with the ship, you're not going to be saved. Whatever happens to you once you leave this ship, that's on your hands. If you go and you, and you perish, that is your choice. That is because you chose not to listen. But if you stay here, you will be saved. And I like what they do next. So they're like, okay, well, we don't like that idea. And so they cut the lifeboat out and let it drift away. All right, like if we're gonna, if we're gonna do this, then if we're gonna say we're gonna do it completely, we are going to put 100% faith in you and what you are saying is going to happen. And so they cut the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now we see verse 33 says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need, to sur- or you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And so uh, Paul approaches them and says, hey, guys, for 14 days, you have had no food to eat. You need to eat if you are going to keep up your strength. Can you imagine that? 14 days without food. Like I eat breakfast and then at 1130, I'm wanting lunch. Like that's how I am. I can't imagine 14 days. They're probably hopped up on adrenaline. They've got all this stuff going on and and they're not focusing on eating. They're focused on, are we going to stay alive? And so uh, Paul tells him, hey, you got to eat. You have to, this will give you strength. We're going to need it. So just know this. None of you are going to lose a single hair from your head. You're going to be fine. You're going to survive. So eat. And in front of them, he breaks bread. He prays, breaks bread, and eats. And it says that they took, or they were encouraged. They ate food themselves they ate what they wanted to eat, as much as they wanted to eat, and then they lightened the ship by throwing the grain out of the ship. And the thing about this, is, this is the same language here that we see for when Jesus broke bread with his disciples at the Last Supper. Same language used. It was a common practice for the Jews to pray, break bread, and eat together. It was a celebration type thing that they would do, part of their culture. But the thing that's in it, Paul is so chill, right? Like all the things that have been happening, all the things that have been going on, that is deep faith saying, hey, I can relax. I'm, you know, he is an expert at this. He has shipwrecked three times, so he's, he understands what happens. But no, he, he's chill because he understands God is going to take care of this. And then 
uh, verse 39, it says, When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with the sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out the plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get on planks on the other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So pretty much we see here that the ship is torn apart. It's damaged greatly. It is torn in two. And now we see that the soldiers had planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. And you might be thinking, that sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Like they're out here in the middle of somewhere they weren't intending to be, and your plan is you're going to shoot them or kill them to make sure that they don't get away? Like that seems a little bit much right now, doesn't it? Well, here's the thing. You see... If they let these people go, if they fleed, they survive. Most of these people on this boat were probably going to Rome to, to die. They were prisoners who were going to Rome to face sentencing, and they were probably going to die. And if these people would sail away, if they would get away, Roman law held soldiers accountable for what happened to its prisoners. And so if they sail away, and they flee, and they escape, well then, it's their life for yours. And so these soldiers would meet death if they're, you know, the people that were entrusted to them got away. They would, their life would now be replaced for theirs. And so, yeah, they don't want them to get away. They don't want them to escape. But then we see the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get on the planks or other pieces of the ship. And that way everyone would reach the land. Paul doesn't, or the centurion doesn't want to cause any harm to Paul. It doesn't really tell us why, but it's probably because throughout this voyage, Paul has been an encourager, and he has been somebody who has helped keep their, their spirits up, and he has been somebody who has been proving as trustworthy. And, and so for these reasons, uh, the way Paul lived probably uh, gave the centurion a little piece about, hey, let's not harm this man. Let's listen to what he has to say. And so if you can swim and you can get to shore, then you go first. And then anybody else, if you can't swim, uh, find any piece of the ship that you can and sail up to uh, the shore. And here's the thing. It says, in this way, everyone reached land safely. Everybody made it. Just as Paul had foretold, just as he was told from the angel of the Lord, everyone will make it. And that is exactly what happens. And this is a story all about how God comes through. God came through for the people just as he would, or he said he would. So here's the next lesson that we can learn from this. In the middle of the storm, we find out who we are. In the middle of the storm, we find out 
who we are. There are two stories in this section that take place. There's a story of sailors who are, hey, we don't trust in this, Paul. We don't trust that this is going to happen. We don't believe this is going to happen. And so we are going to flee. They get scared and they choose to ignore what had been told to them. Paul, on the other hand, trusted God. Hey, if you leave this ship, you're in trouble. But if you stay, you will survive. He goes and he tells them, hey guys, you need to eat because you need your strength. Nothing is going to happen to you, and so eat. And he's so chill, he's calm. He breaks bread and knowing that, hey, things are going to be okay. You see, it's in the storms of life when we find out who we are and what kind of a person we choose to be. In the midst of life storms, do you A, put your faith and trust in God, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, or in the midst of life storms, do you tend to doubt who God is and that He is actually going to come through to you or for you? Which kind of person are you going to be? And I hope, and I hope, and I hope that you choose answer A. I hope that in the midst of the storms, you choose to be the person who trusts in God no matter what. No matter what is happening, no matter what is going on, you may be thinking, God, I don't want this. I don't want this storm. I don't want to be going through this. I would much rather it be handled a different way. But God, I know that no matter what happens to me, you are going to come through. You are going to work things out the way that is best. And it may not be the way I like it, and it may not be the way I want it but it is the way that you are working it out that benefits me the most is that the kind of person you're going to be psalm 18 2 tells us this the lord is my rock my fortress my deliverer my god is my rock in whom i take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold Are you going to lean on him? He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. He is our stronghold. He is the horn of our salvation. Are we going to trust in him? Psalm 62, 8 is a little more clear on this. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. He says you people. I'm not adding that in there. He says you people. Pour out your hearts to Him. Trust in Him at all times. Matter of fact, here's one that's a little difficult when we think about it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not only are we called to trust Him in all circumstances, no matter what we are going through in life, we are also called to give thanks in all circumstances. That means no matter what you are going through, you are to give thanks that He is there with you, that He is taking care of you, that He is providing what you need, even when you think it's not what you need. He's providing, He's taking care of in all things, in all circumstances, in all storms. We are to stop and give thanks. You see, storms are hard, but we get to choose how we respond to them. And it's in the middle of the storms of life where we get to see what kind of person we are going to choose to be. Are you the person who will trust in God wholeheartedly no matter what? Or are you the person who is going to start to doubt that God will take care of you? And then we get into Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. 
Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So much right here. Uh, they come to this island that is called Malta. The islanders show them a lot of kindness. And in some of your translations, it may use the word barbarian instead of islanders. Uh, important to know here, this was not a derogatory uh, term at this time. This was a word that simply meant they did not speak Greek. And so if you see the word barbarian in your translation or you come across that in a translation, it's not a derogatory thing. It's just they weren't Greek-speaking people, so they were seen barbarians. And so they make this fire, and Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he puts it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself onto his hand. It's stiff. It was cold. Uh, it was on this wood. The closer he got to the fire, the snake just came undone. He, he comes alive. And, uh, you know, the people begin to think, okay, surely this man is horrible. Something this man has done is just terrible because, you know, he might have escaped the sea, but this is a viper and it's venomous and he is now going to die. He's going to die. It's kind of interesting, a lot of commentators that I read this week on this text bring up the fact that in the land of Malta today, there is actually no venomous snakes. No venomous snakes are in Malta anymore. Now that doesn't mean that there was never snakes to begin with, and so or venomous snakes to begin with, and so obviously they thought that this was a very venomous snake, and they're saying this man has done something horrible because uh, he is going, his hands are going to swell up, he's going to be poisoned, and he is going to die. But then we see Paul here, the the stud, gets bit by a snake and just kind of like shakes it off, and you know nothing happens to him. Nothing happens to him. I mean, mean, how many of you like snakes? Just curious. Okay, no, that's good. I wasn't expecting very many hands. I would hope you don't. Unless some of you are like, I don't want to raise my hand, but I have a pet snake. I'm not going to... But no, he just brushes the snake off. And I love the reaction of the islanders. As soon as, at first, they're like, hey, this person must be horrible. He did something bad because he's going to die. And then he just brushes it off. And they're like, never mind, this guy's a god. This guy is a god. He just, this snake bit him, nothing happened. He just brushed it off. This man is a god. Now, we don't see what, how Paul responded, but knowing how Paul would respond in other places, he probably would have been like, whoa, 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 this is not me. This is a god thing. This is a miraculous thing from God that nothing happened to me. I myself am not a god. I know Paul would say that just knowing what he has said in other places. But this is an important thing that takes place here. This is important that this happens because of what happens next. And I feel it's because of this that this opportunity comes. It says, There was an estate nearby that belonged to uh, Publius, uh, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. 
His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and, and after prayer, placed his hand on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. And so the chief priest, or the chief official of the island, uh, has a father who is sick. He goes and he uh, says, Hey, can you come in and see my father? And he goes and he heals uh, this man's father. But then not only this man's father, the, all of the sick on the island, everyone who is on this island who is sick, is brought before them, and Paul heals all of the sick on this island. And they honor him in many ways, and then uh, they are given the supplies they need, and they are able uh, to, to go on. And it's such an amazing thing that happens here. In the midst of all of the things that they're going through, in the midst of all the things that Paul has gone through, he doesn't miss an opportunity to, to share the gospel. He doesn't miss an opportunity to do something miraculous, to, to uh, be used by God. He doesn't miss an opportunity. And so here's the, the next lesson that we can learn from this. In the middle of the storm, opportunities arrive. In the middle of the storm, opportunities arrive. Now, let's be completely honest here. How often do you think in the middle of a storm, you're thinking about the opportunities you have to to minister to others? Not very often, right? When we are going through the midst of a storm, who are we thinking about? We're thinking about us. We're thinking about myself, me, myself, I. We think about what we're going through. I don't have time to worry about your problems. I've got my own problems. I've got my own storm. I've got my own situation that I am going through. This is how we often think. But you see, sometimes it's in the middle of the storms we are facing where we have the opportunity to serve others. And I think about this in a very real way. You know, to me, Joplin is home. It's part of, I consider it a home. It was somewhere I spent a lot of time. I I, uh, went to college there for five years. I had community there. I had friends there, uh, people I considered family there. Like, it became an important place for me. And I'll never forget, I was in Joplin the day before the tornado in Joplin. And uh, praise God, one of my best friends and his family uh, they moved that night from Joplin. Moved that night. Uh, he had graduated that morning. That's why I was there. I went to watch him graduate. Then he and his family, they packed up. They moved over to the Kansas City area that, that night before the next day. And the thing I remember about the tornado is having friends who still live there, uh, important people who still live there, they were just telling me stories of what was happening there. And one of the things that happened so frequently there during all of this, no matter all the things that happened, these people who had lost their homes, these people who had lost uh, you know, homes they had built, all these things that were in their homes, they had lost all of these things, and yet their number one priority was, are my, are my neighbors okay? Are the people that I live with, are they okay? Are the people who I do life with, every are they okay? And they were rallying together to to help one another out in the midst of this. And I'm sure you could uh, talk to Cody. He would probably tell you the same things. But they rallied together and were helping one another 
people had their own problems in that moment, but yet they had an opportunity to serve. And I think about it like this sometimes. When we are going through a storm, it offers, it offers us an opportunity to learn empathy, right? Like when we're going through a storm, it offers us an opportunity to learn empathy because when we're going through something, we all of a sudden can see that the things that other people are going through aren't just little things anymore like we once thought they were. And we're probably guilty of this at some point. Man, they just, they got to let it go. They just got to move on. Man, I know things are hard for them, but they have just gotta, they, they've just got to, you know, trust more. But then when you go through a storm and you're going through something, you can look at those people now and you can say, man, I know now that what they're going through is a lot harder than what I was thinking. And you learn empathy. And when you learn that, it gives you an opportunity to see somebody that you know who has been going through a storm and you can say, how can I minister to you? How can I help you? How can I lift you up? How can I build you up? How can I encourage you? Because now I know that I'm in the middle of this. You've been in the middle of this. How can we help each other out? Romans 12, 9 through 13 tells us this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And this is what we are called to. And in the midst of the storm, if we are willing to pay attention, if we're willing to look for it, if we're willing to not focus on just us in the midst of the storm, and I know it's hard because that's human nature to want to focus on ourselves, but if we stop and we look around us, we see opportunities to minister to those around us who are also going through storms. Opportunities come up. And Paul, through all the things he had been going through, he went through a shipwreck, he got bit by a snake, he went through all of these crazy things, and number one for him was still having opportunity to, to be the hands and feet, to serve other people. Sometimes if we're willing to look for it in the middle of our storms, we have opportunities to serve others. And so here's the thing. We are going through storms. All of us go through storms. If you're not right now, brace yourself. You'll probably go through another storm eventually. And you see some of the storms we face, we feel like they'll pass quickly. And maybe they do. Maybe it's just a shower. Maybe it's not a a, a storm. Maybe it's just a sprinkle in our life and, and it moves quickly. But sometimes the storms we face, they feel like they never end. Like we are just going through a hurricane and it's just not letting up and it's just over and over and over again. Whatever storm you find yourself in this morning, know this. God is in control. God is in control of whatever situation, whatever storm you are in. God is in control. And we all know a thing or two about storms. See, for two years, we have been torn asunder. We have been thrown around. It has been topsy-turvy, life has, hasn't it? For the last two years. And I'm not even talking about just the pandemic. So many people I know who are struggling with you know, the, the possibility of divorce, who are struggling with jobs, who are struggling with difficult things in their life, and it feels like they are being thrown around and have lost all control of their life. But here's the thing, when we feel like we have no hope, God is in control. God is in control. 
And what better way has he been in control than he sending, by him sending his son for us? No matter what happens, you know, Ron talked about it this morning, God's grace. God has given us grace. He has poured grace onto us. He is in control of the situation and he has shown us grace. And the greatest way he has shown us grace is by sending his son for us. 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. He sent his son for us. One of my favorite songs is a song called Still. And it's the version I always listen to is Hill Song, and I'm sure other bands have sung the song. But the song Still. And I love these words in this song. It says this Find rest my soul in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know that you are God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I don't know what storm you find yourself in this morning. It may be a, a, a rain shower. It might be a hurricane that you are living in this morning. But I can tell you this with certainty. Facing the storms of life is a whole lot easier if God is with you than if you do not have God in your life. Facing the things of this life are a whole lot easier when you believe and you have accepted Christ into your heart, when you are living with God. It is a lot easier to make it through the storms of this world than without Him. And so maybe this morning you are trying to sail through a storm in your life and you are trying to do it without God. If that's the case, I pray that you would, man, you would give your life to Him. If you have a decision you need to make, you can write it on your Connect cards. I'd love to talk with you about it. I know our elders would love to talk with you about it. Or maybe this morning you've been walking through the storms of life and you have been trying to do it on your own instead of trusting on and relying on God. Maybe you've had the opportunity to listen to godly counsel or to listen to Christ and you chose not to. And you find yourself in the middle of a storm. I pray that if you, if you haven't been trying to trust in him, if you haven't been trusting in him, spend some time talking with him. Where you're sitting, you can come and pray with me. I'd love to pray with you. Again, I don't know what storm you find yourself in this morning, but I pray that you find yourself in the arms of a loving God this morning. I pray this morning that whatever storm you're going through, you trust in him, you rely on him, you put your faith in him, you believe that he is going to carry you through no matter what, that you believe that he is going to be there for you and you trust in him. You don't, put, you don't doubt him, you don't start to lose faith in him, but you lean on him this morning. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, I hope you do it as we stand and we sing.